Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. hiding your head. <laughs> Surely you've heard yourself read enough. Um, thank you for doing it. Thank you for everyone who actually contributes to our Bible readings every week. It's really, really uh, a blessing for all of us. Good to see people here. Good to see people sitting along the side. And that's exciting. We'll get some more chairs next week. Um, but uh, welcome to our service. We are carrying on our second part of our series, our both and series where we're exploring what kind of a church are we when we surveyed our church members across the whole congregation and asked them to describe, well, why have you stuck around here? What's, what is it about this church? Who are we? What are we? And they gave us various things that we put together in this both and because um, we want to unify things that should go together. And this is an example of that. Um, disclaimer for this service, I'm going to be talking about camels a lot. Now, I have not, I promise you, I have not stolen from Howard. He even brought a squidgy camel on stage last week, and I haven't got one. But I didn't steal the idea from him, I promise. I stole it from someone else. Um, in 2017, a brilliant preacher called Andrew Wilson spoke to our whole family of churches, and he did a talk called Both And, and he went around various different things where Christians should be both and Christians. And in that message, he quoted from Martin Luther, and I think we'll have the small quote up with an image um, above me, I think, um, of people falling off horses, because he, Luther described humanity, the history of humanity, as a history of a drunk man falling off a horse. It's a bit like a drunk man trying to get on the horse, stay on it, fall off one side, try and get back on the horse and fall off the other side. And his, humanity has been like this throughout history as we've come, tried to come to certain conclusions about things. We often go too far one way and then too far the other way and we often end up polarizing and some people end up in this camp, some people end up in this camp and they're at loggerheads. So 
I want to unify what is often separated in churches. Um, but I am, in order to avoid plagiarism so that no one knows I've stolen this idea, I'm going to use a camel rather than a horse for this talk. So a camel with two humps, it's important to know. Uh, can anyone name the species of camel that has two humps? It's not the dromedary, it's the Bactrian camel. There you go, a fact for you to go away with. Um, so uh, we are working with this camel. And the reason, actually, I have chosen a camel for two reasons. Um, one is in order to avoid confusion, because we're doing this talk about being a word and spirit church, and if I were to use a horse as the analogy, the danger would be that I would imply that you could fall off one side of the horse and become too word, or you could fall off the other side of the horse and become too spirit, and I don't believe that's the case. Actually, we've got two humps, the word and the spirit hump, and our goal is to ride on, in between, wherever you want, but on the camel, between the Word and the Spirit, holding them in unity. Falling off, it's not possible to become too wordy or too spirity, because these things should come together. So, uh, I'm using it for that reason, to avoid confusion. But I am also using a camel as an analogy, in order to allow for some confusion. Because remember, God's created the camel. And the camel is a weird creature. It's weird to look at. It functions odd. It does all sorts of unusual things. And it, it, it's, it's, it's just a bit odd. And riding a camel, I imagine, also feels odd. You see people riding horses in like the Olympics, and they look so graceful. I don't think you've ever seen someone gracefully ride a camel. But I want to make that point in order to emphasize trying to bring word and spirit together will often lead you to unusual situations. It will feel weird. It might not seem logical at times, but those should not be our guiding principles when we're trying to follow Jesus. Our own logic, what makes sense to me, or what feels right to me, are important, but they shouldn't be our guiding principles. And often in this debate, you will hear one side of the camp simply making logical arguments to try and make their points, and the other side of the camp only working from experience. And I don't think either of those should rule the roost for us, but actually we want to go with what God has said and what God is doing and what he has revealed to us. And we work with that, no matter how it feels to us, no matter how it sounds to us, we want to be faithful to him. So that's another reason why we're going with the camel. Like I said, it feels Weird, it looks weird when someone rides a camel, but actually, that is kind of the point. And as a word and spirit church, it might sometimes feel a bit weird to try and unify these two things, but we want to press on and see what God will bring us into. Now, for those of you who like, uh, don't like illustrations about camels and just like reading something clever on a screen, I've got a quote now from Andrew w Wilson. Um, he wrote this in a helpful blog, and it gets at what we're trying to get at with this idea of word and spirit. With, with regards to word, we're committed to the absolute authority and accuracy of Scripture, even where it flies in the face of ecclesial, that means church, tradition, contemporary culture, or intellectual fashion. And spirit, by that we mean we are committed to experiencing and not merely believing in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit today, eagerly desiring spiritual gifts and especially prophecy, taking the book of Acts as a vision of what church life can be 
rather than simply a record of what it once was, and pursuing the baptism in and the filling with the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to be unpacking those ideas, but for those who like clever things written down, that's what you've got. So first, starting with word. What is it to be a word church, committed to the word of God? Um, Well, first of all, I want to show what we shouldn't confuse this with. Now, on the next slide, you've got a picture. Can anyone name the animal? It is, yeah, it, I, th- I think it's an alpaca. It took me ages, far too long to find a picture of an alpaca. Um, but there's an alpaca, not to be confused with a camel. Okay, They look vaguely similar, but don't confuse the two. And I, the reason I'm saying that is when you talk about being a, a committed to the Word of God, a church or an individual committed to the Word of God, I think you can sometimes fall into confusion. Sometimes it gets confused with simply being intellectual, being intelligent. That's what a words church is. But Jesus said very clearly, he, he, well, he never said that the, the seed, which is the word of God, gets sown out and it grows best in intelligent soil. No, he said it grows best in faithful soil. This is not a club where you have to have a high IQ in order to really be following Jesus properly. No, what we want to look for is faithfulness, not intelligence, not intellectualism. And we want to avoid falling or steering into that world, but actually remaining true to the Word of God. Yes, there's some complicated stuff in here, and it helps to think it through intelligently, but we do not elevate intellectualism and say this is a place only for clever people of a certain IQ, because that's what we look for. Sometimes you feel like you have to have a degree uh, in order to fit into churches, and that should not be the case. The Word of God grows best in faithful soil, not intelligent soil. Secondly, you don't actually need to be a bookworm or necessarily a keen reader in order to be a word-based church or Christian. Now, it helps to be able to uh, or be enthusiastic about reading, but it's not a necessity. The Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Colossae, and he said to them, let the word of God dwell amongst you richly. But the likelihood is, amongst that church, there would have been a high number of people who were illiterate, who could not read, and definitely no one in that church had a personal Bible of their own that they would read at home. The printing press hadn't been invented by that point. So how did they let the word of God dwell amongst them richly? If they couldn't read, either because they had never learned or they didn't have the capability of it, well, they did it together came together. The apostles had delivered the scriptures to them. They had Old Testament scriptures probably, and the elders would have spoken the words, and other people in the community would have spoken the words to them. And then it would have been a whole group effort to communicate it to one another, to simplify it for each other, to chew it over together as a group, to explain it and everything else. And it would have been all this community activity So you don't have to be a bookworm or a keen reader to be a faithful word Christian. You simply have to be a keen learner. You have to want to devour the word of God however you might receive it. So don't feel disqualified if you struggle to read, picking up any kind of book. The Bible is complicated and difficult at times. And we're not saying don't go away and read the Bible on your own. But I'm mainly saying don't feel disqualified if you don't feel like you can do that. Because there are all sorts of ways that you can engage with the Word of God and be faithful to it and live your life based on it by being part of a good community, hopefully Westminster Chapel, 
where the Word of God is absolutely dwelling among us richly. So have open, honest conversations. Join our Become courses where the Word of God is absolutely central. Be part of a life group where you're looking after one another and speaking words of uh, Scripture into one another's lives. This is what I'd encourage you to be. So third point, you also don't need to be a know-it-all when you join a church or if you're going to be part of a word church. Sometimes I have felt, when I became a Christian when I was 20, um, I started going to a couple of churches and I felt like they were a bit like roller coasters. You know where you've got the height restriction, if you're not above this height you can't go onto that roller coaster. And it felt to me, I'd never read the Bible in my life, I'd only been to church reluctantly with my school, I knew nothing about any other characters and I did feel like I didn't fit in at all because I didn't fit the height restriction, I didn't know enough about the Bible in order to fit into the community that I was trying to enter into. And I felt quite isolated from some churches. Now we want to really avoid that. Remember Howard's message last week to us. It was so powerful and it started with the idea of acceptance. We are a church who accepts anyone. The bar is extremely low. You can just step over it. There is no prerequisite of knowledge that you have to have of the Bible in order to join this community. But then remember, acceptance and transformation. We don't want people to stay like that. We want people to grow in their knowledge of Jesus and increase and love him more and discover the incredible gems and truths of God's word. But you don't have to start there. You just want to have to aspire to grow and to learn and discover more. But please, we have to be a church that allows, and it might just be the way that we communicate or talk or whatever it might be, we have to be a church that's so accepting that doesn't set this bar uh, above which people can only enter. So that's also not necessarily a word church is one where everyone knows it all. And then finally, this doesn't mean being narrow-minded. If you're committed to the Bible as the Word of God and you are absolutely committed to uh, preaching it faithfully, learning it faithfully, whatever it might be, it does not mean that you're narrow-minded if you believe in the Bible. Many people might say that, but it's often, and I used to say that as an atheist, but it's usually because they haven't read the Bible. The Bible, I've discovered over the years that I've been reading it and trying to go into it further, is one of the most mind-expanding books, well, the most mind-expanding book I've ever come across. It covers more genres than any other text, I think. It has covers so many years. It tells you about history, about science, to some extent, um, to, uh, about philosophy, about logic, about the insides of human beings and the outsides of human beings. It's everything. If you want to learn about reality, the Bible's the place to go, even if you don't yet believe it, because it was written by so many people over so many years with so many experiences. It is mind-expanding. It's not narrowing. But the thing is, sometimes it will expand your mind in a direction that feels uncomfortable. And I think that's where people react. Because it does say things that you might not instinctively agree with. But you wouldn't have a go at your osteopath if you went to the osteopath because you had certain problems and they started stretching your limbs and it felt uncomfortable. You wouldn't blame them. You wouldn't say, hey, you're doing this completely wrong. No, no, no. They know what they're doing and they're bringing your limbs in the right alignment so that your body functions best. That is what the Bible has done to not just individuals, but whole communities and whole nations over the years, century after century after century since it was written. 
the Bible has that effect. It will align you into the best, so that you can live in the best version of reality. So let it do it. But it will occasionally feel uncomfortable. So then, after all of that, let's talk about the idea of being Bible-based. And uh, lots of churches will say that. We're Bible-based. Now, I've got two pic- a picture of two camels here. Um, these individuals are both camel-based. Both of those uh, chaps with white garments sat on the camels. They're both camel-based. But there is a dramatic difference between the two of them. One of them has the reins, is holding the reins, and is completely in charge of where the camel goes. The other one is a passenger willing to go wherever the camel goes because it's got a trustworthy guide in front of it. Now, which one of them do we want to be as a church? Do we want to be Bible-based, where we take the reins and essentially make the Bible say whatever we want it to say? Or do we want to sit, be Bible-based by sitting on it, trusting where it takes us because we're being led by a trustworthy guide who is the Holy Spirit? There are many, many churches and Christians, and all of us can fall into this, who would quote the Bible regularly, who will absolutely use it when they give advice or when they say things, but really they are using it to push their own agendas, their own prejudices, whatever it might be, their own social ideas, because you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. You can. It's quite easy. But we don't want to be that kind of a church. We want to be led by the Holy Spirit. We want to go wherever the Word of God will take us, led by the Holy Spirit. And this is where a passage from 1 Corinthians 2 comes in very helpful. It says this, Now we received not the Spirit of the world, I'm not sure if this is on a slide, sorry. In 1 Corinthians 2.12, Now we received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we might understand the things freely given us by God. It's remarkable that God has freely given his word, so much stuff about God and everything else. He's dumped this on, uh, on earth for free, completely for anyone. But that doesn't mean you can then do whatever you like with it, because it's very clear here. The spirit who is from God, so that we might understand the things freely given to us by God, implying without the Holy Spirit, this is very difficult, almost impossible to understand what God is getting at here, unless the Holy Spirit guides us. And so we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, (coughs) interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. A word spirit church is one that will go wherever the Holy Spirit leads us through the Bible. It is so important that we remember it is primarily here that we find out all of the information for the direction that we need to go in but we need the Spirit to guide us as we read it. So we are, in that, a Word and Spirit church, and this will lead to you looking and feeling a bit weird. This is the moment when you might be having a conversation with someone about faith or just about any general big topic uh, that the Bible would speak on, and they might totally agree with you in one breath. The first thing you say, they might be absolutely on board and say, that's fantastic. Where did you get that idea from? And you say, well, it's taught in the Bible. Jesus said it, something like that. And then in the next breath or in the next conversation, you talk about a different topic and they totally disagree with you and think that you're a bigot. And they say, where did you get those horrendous ideas from? 
the Bible. Jesus says that. This can happen. It happens on the news all the time. You've got uh, one news item where a pastor in a church is being interviewed about something, and everyone's on tender hooks because he is or he or she is the source of all the great information about a certain topic. And uh, they're, they're approving and they're saying, thank you for giving great advice. And then in the next item, it might be about how prejudiced or bigoted the church is on a certain topic. Now, why does this happen? Well, it happens because throughout the centuries, people's opinions changed, but God's opinion hasn't changed. God's word and the, the primary things that he has said have not changed. People's opinions of them have changed over time. And this happened even to Jesus. There's this fantastic bit um, in uh, Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 4. Jesus has just come out of the wilderness. He's been tempted. And the word of God in the wilderness was his bread. It was the thing that he lived on. He, he treaded it and he quoted it to Satan when Satan was coming against him, which again gives you so much to go on when what it means to be a word-based Christian. But um, Jesus goes then to Nazareth, which is where he grew up, and he preaches and it says in verse 22, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. They're on tender hooks. Wow, this guy's saying brilliant stuff. And then only six verses later, in the same meeting, all the people in the synagogue were furious with him. They got up, they drove him out, and they tried to throw him off a cliff. Within six verses, Jesus had everyone hanging on his every word, and then they were trying to push him off a cliff. That's the weirdness of what it means to be based and very, very committed to the Word of God. That will happen, and it will feel weird, it will look weird, but that's what it means to ride on this camel. <laughs> Sorry. It is possible to fall off this camel, though, uh, using that illustration from Jesus. Some people are Bible bashers and uh, will use the Bible for their own ends. And so it, it is possible falling off this camel, to think that any time anyone is offended by what you've said, it's because of what the Bible says. But actually, it might just be they're offended by you. Now, I am a secret Bible basher, or I have been in the past. I um, had a flatmate uh, in London when I moved to London, um, and she started to be interested in Christianity, and she said she'd be open to reading the Bible. So I went and bought a Bible for her, which I think is a good thing. And if you can afford it, you should do that for people. You should bless them. Um, and then one day she was getting ready for work and I was getting ready for work and it was a bit hurried, but I had the Bible on the side. So I thought, hey, one idea would be to wait and to have a conversation with her and say, hey, you know how you enjoyed uh, or said that you might want to read the Bible? Well, here's one. I bought it for you as a gift. Uh, shall I find someone to read the Bible with you? Whatever or maybe try this chapter in John's Gospel or something. I could have tried that option, but instead I thought it would be better to slip the Bible into her bag without her knowing before she goes to work. So then she gets into school and she's opening up her bag in the staff room and out comes a Bible. Unsurprisingly, she was quite upset by this. Now I could say, ah, oh, it's because you're offended by the Word of God. No, no, it was my fault. I had just offended her. We have to be careful of this. We can use the Bible against people in the wrong way. And we uh, should try and avoid that. Also, the other example of falling off the camel when we're a word-based church committed to the Word of God is thinking that Bible studies solve everything. Hey, we've got some issues in the church. Hey, we need to uh, think something through it or whatever it might be. Let's resort to a Bible study. 
Now, the Bible is the source of all the information, or nearly all the information that we need. And so it's the absolute basis of all the courses that we're running, etc., etc. But the Bible itself was not written just to be read and enjoyed, but it was written to be obeyed. So we would be completely missing the point if everything was just resorting to Bible study and emphasizing, okay, what does the passage say? Without then saying, no, 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 this thing was written so that we would obey it collectively as a church. So some people would criticize our kind of church, and I'm, getting on, I'm going to get on to what it means to be a spirit church uh, in a second. And what I mean by that is a charismatic, that's the term. And, and they will say that what we do prophecy, uh, we, we try and do prophecy in our church because we feel like we need to add words to the word of God. Because scripture isn't enough and we need to add extra stuff. But that simply isn't true and I'll hopefully just show you in a second. We are not prophesying or emphasizing and endorsing prophecy in this church because we want to add to the word of God. It's because we want to obey the word of God. And I'll just show you in the passage that was read earlier to us. <coughs> in 1 Thessalonians 5, we admonish the idle, we encourage the faint-hearted, and we help the weak, and we try to be patient with everyone because the Bible tells us to. We avoid repaying anyone evil for evil and always seek to do good to one another because the Bible tells us to. We rejoice always. We pray without ceasing. We give thanks in all circumstances because the Bible tells us to. And we do not quench the spirit. We do not despise prophecies. We test everything, holding fast to what is good because the Bible tells us to. That final paragraph, I would suggest, is what makes us what's called a charismatic church. We really want to obey that final paragraph, and we see no reason why that final paragraph no longer applies to New Testament churches. We don't see any good argument for that. We only see good arguments for we should obey that, and many other passages similar to that, as best as we possibly can. So that's what leads us into the spirit side of this. We're a word spirit church. What does it mean to be charismatic? And again, with the alpaca illustration, don't confuse a charismatic church for personality. What we mean by a charismatic church isn't that everyone here is very extroverted and really likes putting their hands up here when they sing songs and is more inclined to tears than other people and gets lots of fuzzy feelings. That is not a charismatic person in theology. We're also not referring to style. A charismatic church doesn't mean we have a certain style of preaching. Look, me walking away from the lectern is more the fact that I'm a fidget. It's not because I've got charismatic theology. Having the certain type of music that we use, all these kinds of things, doesn't make us charismatic. It's a style that we've chosen and we like, but it's not charismatic theology. Some of the things that we do hopefully open us up to being able to experience the Holy Spirit in a more profound way. But this, the personality and the style doesn't make anyone charismatic. What it's about, I think, is how we relate to the Holy Spirit and what we expect Him to do in our lives and especially when we're gathering together. That's what we're referring to with charismatic or spirit-filled, let's say. And I would put it down to two headings, power 
and prophecy. Now, the power idea is all about what, how we relate to the Holy Spirit and what we expect Him to do in the lives of believers. So what we expect the Holy Spirit and what we anticipate and what we ask Him to do in our lives. We expect encounters and experiences with the Holy Spirit that empower us to follow Jesus. And we would press over uh, after those. And I'll give you just one illustration why it's the case from Scripture. The Apostle Paul, as many of you know, traveled around a large part of the world in order to preach about Jesus. And when he got to a town called Ephesus, he met some people called believers. These were Christians. And he met these believers, and one of the first questions he asked them was, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, if you read that passage on its own, it might imply that it's possible for someone to believe without the Holy Spirit being inside of them. But then you need to go wider and read Paul's theology when he writes to other churches to understand what he thought. And in Romans, he says this, in Romans chapter 8, he says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him, God. So flip that around. If anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ is not a Christian, so any Christian has the Spirit of Christ. Every believer has the Spirit of God living inside of them. Every single believer has the Holy Spirit inside of them, living inside of them. So what was Paul asking when he goes up to a group of believers who already have the Spirit living in them and says to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And what's he implying? He is implying that they must know the answer to that, i.e., it must have been an experience. He is expecting them to know physically, emotionally, that they, they encountered the Holy Spirit in a way that changed them. Therefore, they knew about it. And so we as a church are committed to this in our discipleship. We will ask, especially new believers, but we'd encourage all believers to ask the question, have you encountered the Holy Spirit in your walk with God? Have you experienced power from heaven through the Holy Spirit? Has the Holy Spirit worked radically in your life, giving you gifts uh, that you can then use to empower and strengthen the church? Has that happened in your life? Because according to the Apostle Paul, and therefore hopefully being Bible-based, following the Bible, if that hasn't happened, then it is absolutely something that you should be pursuing and being prayed for and asking God how he might do that in your life. And so then the second one is prophecy. And I'm using prophecy kind of as a, an umbrella term for all of the spirit gifts. Because we are all, as you'll see in a second, we are all meant to eagerly desire, not just the people on the stage, but every single person is meant to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Now again, if you go online and you look at the debates about this, the main criticism is that people would say that charismatic churches like us are trying to add to the Word of God with this. Prophecy for them is only ever really referring to the stuff that Isaiah and Jeremiah and Elijah would have done in the Old Testament. So they think that we're trying to be Elijah's and Isaiah's where it was a direct word from God, where they're in God's presence, they hear God's voice, and then they write it down, and it becomes Scripture. 
And for many that would criticize a charismatic church, that is the idea of prophecy that they have. That's the definition. So in the New Testament, it, wherever it says prophecy, that's what it's referring to. But I'd simply say, that's not reading the Bible wide enough. In the Old Testament, there are many examples of the word prophecy being used that are not referring to a spoken word of God written down that becomes scripture. There are many, many examples, and you could go and do your own study of this, of the word prophecy and being used to describe all sorts of different things. And then in the New Testament, the same thing again. And so the kind of prophecy that we're speaking about is really the prophetic word that's shared to the congregation for our strengthening and empowerment. And the reason we do that is because we try our best to find where that kind of prophecy is referred to in Scripture and then read around it. Read the context and understand, okay, what's that word getting at? What's it describing? So let's just do that together now. And after this, we're going to worship and I believe people will hopefully move in the gifts of the Spirit and ask God to fill them and encounter God for themselves in remarkable ways because the Word of God says so and encourages us to do this. So we've just got a list of New Testament ways that the word prophecy is used. Firstly, we prophesy in part. Prophecies provide part of the picture. The Word of God, on some issues gives you the entire picture. Should you commit adultery? No. The Word of God absolutely gives you the entire picture. You don't need that one to be colored in for you. But on certain things, the Word of God gives you the framework. So where should you, uh, uh, how and why should you work, for example? The Word of God gives you the framework for that. But where should you work and with whom should you work are not things that the Word of God gives you. And we believe that prophecy is a major way that God, in some way, in the moment, fills in those gaps for us, paints in the picture, adds the color, alongside wisdom and good advice and good counsel and sensible thinking and answers to prayer. Prophecy, we believe, provides a necessary part of the picture. So if prophecy has never formed part of your decision-making, then I would really encourage you that you should put yourself in situations where you're more likely for someone to share a prophetic word with you. For me, I've been fortunate enough to be in environments where lots of prophetic words have been shared, and I've got maybe a list of five that have been really pivotal and really shaping in my life that I've tried to be faithful to and follow up with. And I'd really encourage you no matter how new to this or old in this you are, keep putting yourself in environments where actually prophecy will be a big part of your life, especially where you're making decisions. So we prophesy in part, spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. If you're sharing a prophetic word, you are fully responsible for the word that you share. The spirits of prophets are um, subject to the prophets. We don't, when we put our hands out like this as charismatic individuals, God doesn't tie strings around and become the puppet master. And now we're very charismatic because we're speaking the direct words of God. No, our spirits are subject to this. The spirit of the prophet is subject to us. So please be sensible about how you're sharing prophetic words. If it's very significant, if it's big, if it might be really life-changing, please 
share it with elders, with wise people in the church before you just dump it on someone. Please recognize that you're responsible for how you share a prophetic word. Is it the best context to share it? Is that the best moment? Do you need to think and pray about it more? All of these things you're responsible for. And we'd really encourage you to step into that wisely. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Just look at that. Think how many of us need to be built up occasionally, encouraged or consoled. In our pastoral work, whether that's more official or whether it's just conversations amongst one another, prophecy can do this for people. It's so powerful. It can be so life-changing. Why would we not pursue after something like this? If all prophecy, uh, sorry, if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. That describes an environment like this where someone who doesn't necessarily know anything about God comes in and something is shared that only God could have known about that person. Now that does sometimes occur, and it's remarkable and incredible when you have stories of that, where God, like Howard said uh, last week or the week before, when God knew someone's name and spoke into their situ situation directly, God can download very specific knowledge that only he could know into your brain, and you could share that. Now that's remarkable, and we should pursue after that kind of thing. But again, just going to the next one, um, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If you have had a moment where you've known something directly from God, only God could have known that and downloaded it into your mind and then you've shared it, please don't get on your high horse or your high camel and think, that is me forever, I'm set. No one can question my prophetic words anymore. I get direct words from God and everyone must obey me. No, the Word of God says, always when bringing prophecies, they need to be weighed. They need to be measured. We need to discuss it in the right way. You can't suddenly trump everyone because you feel like you've had a word from God. It really needs to be done sensibly. And then finally, earnestly desire to prophesy. What are you earnestly desiring most at the moment? What's the most important thing in your life? Well, could it perhaps this morning be prophecy? Earnestly desire this. It should be utmost in our attention. This is not something to go away and pray about to see if you're that kind of a person. Earnestly desire to prophesy. It would be incredible for all of us as a church to move in the spiritual gifts however they might manifest, however God gives them to us, because we don't get to decide who gets what. But it says, earnestly desire these, especially prophecy. Because if anyone thinks that he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. This is not some, oh, it would feel nice if we were this kind of church. No, we're trying to obey the word of God. This is a command from the Lord. Paul knew this when he's writing to the churches. This is a word and spirit church. We take both unbelievably seriously because the impact is unbelievably serious. It's incredible. I, I was thinking as well, camels, I think, 
in terms of carrying humans, camels are the only animals that can take humans certain places. Horses couldn't do it because they, they need to drink too often. Across certain desert environments, across some of the most beautiful places on this earth, only a camel could take you there. And I would kind of say, only a word spirit church that's faithfully pursuing this can take you certain places. It's the only way that you can really live a certain life that God calls you to is in a church that's really trying to unify these. And we're not saying that we've absolutely solved this, but we are working together on it to pursue this together because we think it leads to the best life that you could possibly imagine. So, the life, the truth, the encouragement and the growth that will come as we pursue being a word, spirit, church, will be unbelievable. And we should all step into this together. So why don't we stand and pray? And I'm going to ask God to work amongst us in a significant way that we would, not just now, it's not, oh, this was a special service to do this stuff, so we'll tick it off and then next week we'll move on to something else. But all of these things are us together saying yes. Look, you might be an absolute novice at riding a camel, and I'm not expecting any of us to be sprinting across the Sahara today. No, the guide, the Holy Spirit, takes us at whatever speed we are capable of. And he'll move slowly for some, faster with others, but we all want to be riding that camel, doing it rightly as the Holy Spirit leads. So, Holy Spirit, please come. Father and Son, thank you that you send the Holy Spirit so that we would understand the truths in Scripture and then also we would be able to move in the gifts that you've given. I pray for genuine, we don't have to work this up, we don't have to fake anything today. Thank you for that. Thank you that you're the God of truth, not fakery and fraud. So thank you that whatever happens, it only needs to be authentic. We don't need to push anything. Don't need to work anything up because we know that you're the true God who works in your time and in your way, but you do tell us to earnestly desire, so we don't want to be passive in this, Lord. We do really want to be faithful to your word. So however it feels, whatever sense it makes or doesn't make to, uh, to all of us, Lord, Please would you be faithful to your word too and meet us here now by your spirit in power that some would be filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time in a significant way. That some would experience healing this morning. That some would grow or even discover new spiritual gifts that they've never known. That some might be able to speak in tongues. That some would hear words of prophecy that would build us up as a church. And let us be bold enough to step into whatever you are leading us towards. So Holy Spirit, would you be our guide now? For the honor and glory of Jesus, the flourishing of his church, and the glory of the Father. Amen. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. 
If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.